Welcome to Aligned Expressions, the new podcast series by Sherry Burton Stein. In this series, we'll be talking everything from home, lifestyle, yoga, and feng shui. And I am your host, Sherry Stein, and it is a pleasure to have you connecting, growing, and learning with me through Aligned Expressions. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Aligned Expressions. Hi, my name is Sherry Stein, and I am your host for this wonderful podcast as your integrative wellness consultant and author of two books, Landing on Your Feet and Putting Down Roots, 21 Rituals to Transform Your Life and Interior Space, and Feel Good Spaces, Decorating Your Home for the Body, Mind, and Spirit. I guide midlife women to release stagnant energy, create healthy living spaces using intentionally inspired rituals. I invite you to grab my new complimentary ebook, Inspired Sanctuary Rituals to Create a Happy, Healthy Home for Women Over 40. It's an ebook and it's free. This primer provides intentional tools for women over 40 to consider to enhance wellness and emotional resilience in their homes or living spaces that support the challenges that many women face in midlife. Go to www.subscribepage.com forward slash Inspired Sanctuary when you sign up for my bi-weekly newsletter. You can also follow me on Instagram at wellnesssbw and check out my website at www.sbwaligned.com. This podcast is free and a labor of love. However, to help me continue sharing the unique wisdom of my guests, as well as my wisdom on this podcast, I welcome you to do two things. One, share, rate, and review this podcast on your favorite platform. And two, consider making a small donation to keep this unique podcast going. You can go on https colon forward slash forward slash anchor dot fm forward slash aligned expressions. Click support and you can make a donation between 99 cents and $9.99. We appreciate your support. So today we are going to be speaking with Dr. Rebecca Williams who is a psychologist and a leader in the field of wellness and recovery for mental illness and addiction. For over 20 years, she has skillfully guided her clients toward activating their resilience and protecting their emotional well-being from daily stressors. She has been a dedicated teacher, mentor, and clinical supervisor to students and trainees preparing for demanding careers in mental health and addiction treatment. A licensed clinical psychologist since 1999, Dr. Williams was excited to put her experience into two books, The Mindfulness Workbook for Addiction and The Gift of Recovery, 52 Mindful Ways to Live Joyfully Beyond Addiction. Dr. Williams has received her BA in psychology from Williams College and her master's degree in counseling and consulting psychology from Harvard University. She also completed a PhD in the specialization of clinical psychology from the University of California, Santa Barbara. Thanks for inviting me, Sherry. Oh, This is one of my favorite, I think this is going to be one of my favorite interviews. So uh, tell my listener a little bit about yourself. Well, 
Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. And I just want to say, before we start with me, I just want to say I love what you're doing with combining feng shui, trauma-informed yoga, and essential oils and everything you're doing. That's what drew me to you. It's just oh. the combination, you know, it's beautiful. So anyway, that, that's, that's the cool part of, um, <laughs> of us t- touching base like this. It's very neat. And uh, yeah, so me, you, you did a beautiful introduction of me. I am a psychologist. I've been a psychologist for 25 years. I'm a writer. I'm a yoga and meditation devotee. I've taught yoga for 15 years in San Diego, beautiful San Diego. Um, I was a VA psychologist, so I worked with veterans for many, many years and mm-hmm. taught um, uh, master's level substance abuse classes. I also had a private practice. And uh, of course, my books on mindfulness and addiction are my love. And so a little bit of everything, really, right? Right. Well, I just wanted to tell my listener, I truly enjoyed your book, The Gift of Recovery. And this is a gem for me. And before we begin to talk about the book, I thought maybe you could define for the listener recovery as well as addiction. Sure. Um, Recovery is that place and space you get to um, after you have stopped using drugs or alcohol or actually any harmful behaviors like gambling, cigarette smoking, um, anything that's getting in the way of wellness and well-being, when you get to the point of recovery, you have given up something. Um, you've lost something. I know right. people are like, I don't want to lose that. It's my best friend, you know, mm-hmm. my alcohol. But, but the recovery is a beautiful place to be and also a scary place to be. So that is um, what we talk about in the book. And addiction, as a lot of people already know, um, is the use of uh, drugs, alcohol, or any behavior that is causing you severe distress and it becomes a habit. Um, Your brain sort of changes when you are addicted to something. And that's why it's so hard to get off of um, a lot of the substances. You you actually have to kind of retrain your brain. So um, yeah, it's, you know, 25 million people have an addiction problem. This is not new information. It's, it's, it's a big deal. That's why I'm super excited to talk about um, addiction and um, and what and what you're presenting, which is the the trauma informed care. It's 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 really going to be cool to unpackage this. Yes, it is. And I wanted to also note that in my family and my family of origin, there has been a lot of abuse of substances. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father was an alcoholic. Um, other members of my family have been addicted to drugs. I know a lot of people who still are, mm-hmm. as well as what you just presented as far as addiction to other substances or gambling or other habits. My personal addiction is to caffeine, which I started at a very young age drinking coffee, and I am working on getting myself off. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so that has been something that has definitely impacted my health and well-being and my mood, especially as I am in menopause at this time. And one of the things that I'm very interested in knowing before we begin this really great conversation is what drew you to want to work with recovery and addiction? Mm-hmm. Is that something personal to you or was it just a research interest? Just tell me a little bit about your journey in this. Yeah, my journey, similar to your journey, Sherry, is I have had a lot of addiction in my family and and mental illness also in my family. So it's that, you know, two-edged sword, I guess you could say, Mm -hmm. of folks struggling with um, mental health problems and choosing addiction as a way or drug and alcohol use as a way to handle mental health problems, Mm -hmm. you know, to either numb out or speed up or 
get try to escape. Um, and of course, we know we can't really escape um, the, the difficulties. They are always going to be there. So, yeah, I came to it that way. I always was trying to figure out as a kid, something's not right. I, I can't put my finger on it yet. Uh, right. So, yeah. But I know as a healer, you know, and, and I know that we can pick stuff up in the environment and we don't know quite what to do with it. And but we know it's there's a problem. So I ended up um, studying a psychology as an undergrad and, and it piqued my interest. Um, but then, of course, I had to work after graduates, after, after college. And I ended up working for a number of years as a private exercise trainer in New York. I love fitness and yoga. And I, that was 80, 1984. I started teaching yoga, believe it or not. And uh, well, before it was cool, right? <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, and then, you know, and then I realized as I was a private exercise trainer, all of my clients that were I was using doing fitness with were actually tearful and struggling. And so, you know, I really need, I wanted to go back and learn more. I went back to get a master's degree at Harvard. Um, I did affirmations to get into Harvard, but we'll talk about that in a minute, of course. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But um, anyway, the, the objective was to kind of figure, put the puzzle pieces together for my family, figure things out. And of course, um, once you get into graduate school, a lot of research to, right. to have the foundation and, you know, just kept, kept going. I've been in the field for, you know, long, a long time. And I think I've got some, you know, tricks and t- tips to kind of figure the, you know, the tricky parts out of, um, yeah. of addiction and recovery. Yeah, I I really am uh, interested in knowing more about this as it's interesting. I I just went through this journey with someone about my history and my past and how I was raised and the dysfunction as a result of substance abuse uh, in my family. And it's it made me think about why I had this strong interest in trauma informed mm-hmm. yoga, trauma-sensitive yoga, and even looking at our homes from a trauma perspective. So we're going to get into a little bit about that, but I have uh, a couple of questions for you as, as, as far as your um, background in this. You said you did was it more trauma-informed yoga or just teaching regular yoga? I was just- yeah, back in the day, it was regular yoga. yoga. Okay. And it was um, really within fitness. It was all, everything was combined back mm-hmm. in, the, in the 80s. Um, high impact, you know, fitness and then a yoga class on the side as a, as a little, you know, taster. Mm-hmm. Um, as I got more and more into it, yoga became the primary fitness for me and also teaching it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, you know, things develop, you, you develop as a, as a teacher, you develop as a, for me, as a mental health provider. And those two go together really well, by the way, the mental health, trauma and the yoga. Mm -hmm. I wish I had gone into, uh, psychology personally. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) So after I read your book, the Gift of Recovery. And folks, this is an awesome book. And I believe that no matter what kind of addiction you have, this book can help you. Okay. It doesn't necessarily have to, even though it's it's written for someone who is recovering from some sort of substance abuse, as I am going to be using it for my addiction to caffeine. <laughs> and I found that it was not only a a good resource for eating recovery, caffeine recovery, hoarding and, and clutter, which we're going to get into. I found this to be such a great resource for people who may even have this habit of talking down on themselves. Absolutely. Yes. (laughs) And it's an addiction in and of itself. So talk to me about those who have read it and used it as part of their recovery process. Can you tell me some stories? 
Sure. Well, you know, I agree with you that this book, Gift of Recovery, can be used for any type of troublesome behavior. It doesn't have to be drugs or alcohol, although, of course, we know caffeine is is a drug. Um, So um, any kind of struggle, this book is, you know, the the key that I found over 20 years of interacting with people is... um, there's one thing missing in the, in the big puzzle, and, and the piece is self-compassion. Um, okay. If I can kind of name one thing and put one thing as kind of too far away that has to slowly walk its way back to a person in, in early recovery, it's that ability to kind of put your hand on your heart, be kind to yourself, be patient with yourself, take breaks, um, and, you know, join, join back in slowly into, you know, uh, communities that are um, healing and helpful for you, especially during the pandemic. I'm finding um, that folks are, well, research and is, all the research is saying that people are using alcohol, drugs, maybe even caffeine much more in the last two years than they have, like 200% more than they have prior um, you know, sales of alcohol drugs going up, of course. So, um, you know, I do think that... Um, as an example, um, you know, I, a person would come, you know, I'm not seeing clients right now, but in San Diego, when I was seeing in private practice and clients that, you know, they'd come in stressed, angry. Mm, yeah. Yes. Ang- very angry, uh, sad, you know, all the feelings, all the the feels. Everybody's got these feelings. But for some reason, people who are addicted uh, feel like they shouldn't have these feelings. And so part of the journey that I take with people is acknowledging uh, all feelings are fine feelings, even anger, which is one of my favorite feelings. Yay, anger. You know, like, <laughs> bring, bring it on in. Yeah. I love it. Uh, so um, we, we tackle the tougher feelings and we sit with them. We accept them. We embrace them. And and the journey begins. Um, everybody's different, but those, I mean, that's my experience is that a lot of anger and rage and, and aggression and sadness and depression on one side of the pendulum and the other side is patience, kindness, self-awareness, self-worth, you know, and if there's any way to kind of have those two parts talk to each other and, you know, meet in the middle, which I do think fitness and yoga and feng shui does, it kind of gives you that space to meet in the middle. Oh, yeah. Not- you know what I mean? And so, yeah, so basically um, therapy and counseling is just about staying on track. I mean, um, I don't want to complicate things. You don't have to um, be afraid uh, of it. It's really just about staying staying the course for the long haul. Yeah. Right. So the piece that I love about this whole idea of mindfulness is what you just brought up, this compassion. Mm-hmm. And I have studied or have been studying a lot of Buddhist practices within the last several years, particularly since the pandemic mm-hmm. began. And it just revved up for me lots of meditation, uh, mindfulness studies, and so forth. And this idea, which is very Buddhist, <laughs> uh, is it, as far as compassion for ourselves, that was like an aha moment for me because I've never given myself compassion to make mistakes, to think differently, maybe to do things that were not always so nice. You know, I admit that for myself. And I started really using that whole compassion piece to be able to help myself not to beat up or make myself feel guilty and bad and Oh, bad Sherry, you know, those kinds of things. And I think that has really helped me grow and see the differences between my behavior and things that I do versus the reality of the moment and whether or not I've hurt myself or someone else. Mm. So I really dig this whole thing about mindfulness, which leads me to this question. A lot of people hear about that word. A lot of people know what it means. Others just use it as a way of popularizing something that they hear, but they don't necessarily understand what mindfulness is. So can you take us to a brief definition of mindfulness as well as 
an understanding of someone who is addicted or has been addicted, maybe have never experienced mindfulness, never knew what it was or how to use it. Sure. Yeah, really, really good opening question there. This is this is gold right now. Uh, mm-hmm. Mindfulness is paying attention to what is happening mm-hmm. in the present moment. And this is the key part, Sherry, without judgment of yourself or others. I mean, that's the hardest part. In addiction recovery, the judgment of yourself and others is really huge. And so part of mindfulness and recovery is beginning to unpackage this idea that you can be in the present moment, have whatever feelings you're having or thoughts, and not judge yourself for those thoughts. So if you're feeling sad, for example, you know, interesting. I'm human. I'm, I'm feeling sad. And, uh, you know, be more curious yeah. than, than um, judgmental. And if, if anyone can get to that point, it's really nirvana. I know it's, it's, maybe it sounds simple, but it's not. Mm-hmm. Mindfulness, in my opinion, is extremely quiet mm-hmm. and extremely powerful at the same time. Yeah. Because you're, it's, your, it's you, it's you and yourself. Um, you don't have to shout it to the world. You don't have to, you know, this, it's just your personal experience with yourself, which is a quiet experience. And it's also powerful because it allows you to slow down and really um, kind of view the environment and yourself in the environment and notice everything is okay. Everything is already okay. Yeah. And I often talk to my students in my yoga classes about mindfulness and staying in the present. And when I was coming into yoga and some of these practices, I realized, and it hit me the other day, the reason why I love yoga, for example, is that it keeps me in the present moment. I'm not thinking about the past. I'm not thinking about the future. I am only in the present moment. And I would imagine being someone, and I am soon going to be the recovered caffeine addict, <laughs> um, <laughs> that not thinking about that next cup of coffee, for example, or the last cup of coffee, but just keeping myself in a place where I am only thinking about what's happening now. So if I'm washing the dishes, for example, I'm in the present moment of being with washing the dishes. I know it sounds, I mean, for someone who's not familiar with this, it's probably like, what? (laughs) Um, but, (laughs) But, you know, or if I am reading, I am just in the moment of reading. I'm not thinking about the list of tasks and things I need to do. I'm not focused on this ADHD society in which we're living in right now, right? Exactly. So much going on, so many things coming at us. But if you bring yourself to a place where you can just be still, And it doesn't necessarily mean meditation either. It's just giving yourself that opportunity, non-judgment, not looking back, not looking forward, just being in the moment. And that has blessed me in so many ways. So that's why I really love the premise of this book. Now, on page 12, in your meditation chapter, speaking of meditation, How difficult is it for those overcoming addictions to embrace the practice of meditation? What would you have to say about that? I know you have some affirmations around uh, meditation, but how do we get into that if we're just not something that we're used to doing? You know, we're being still. We're not used to being still. We're closing our eyes or even soft gaze, depending on what you practice. And we have all these things in our heads and things coming at us. What can you say about that? Yeah, really good, good points. You know, what you just said about thinking about the past and worrying about the future and the list. I mean, depression is in the past. 
anxieties in the future. Okay. Mm. So if you, or us, if we can actually, and that's what that mudra, the, the, the fingers are the future and the past. If you touch your thumb and the f- first finger together, that is the present moment. Mm. And, that's, and when you're sitting like that, which I know people do in yoga or elsewhere, um, I know I do every day. Um, it really reminds me, touching my fingers together reminds me to be in the present moment. And yeah. it's, it's simple, but it's a reminder. And I think these affirmations that I have in the book, and there's 365, just <laughs> coincidence? I don't think so. Every day um, there is an affirmation because every day um, requires your special care. And is it difficult? I think your question, is it difficult for people in recovery to practice meditation? Tricky question. It's both easy and difficult. It's easy. Meditation is easy because you can do it really anywhere. You can, you can do it after this podcast that you listen to right now. You can sit in a chair for, I'm thinking, five minutes of meditation. You can do it on the bus going to work. You can do it in your office um, in between your activities that you have to get done. Um, you can do it in the bed at the end of the day. Meditation is just, um, and I like the short and sweet meditation, Sherry. I don't know about you, but I like five, 10 minute max. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. Okay. 10 minutes max. I'm into the five to get started. Three minutes is great. If you're brand, brand new, you can set your timer. Um, And just sitting quietly, um, noticing your breath, of course, Mm -hmm. inhaling and exhaling. And and you're going to notice thoughts come into your head, which is normal. That's good. You're, you're, You're thinking this is not a bad thing. But when you notice those thoughts going in your mind, you just let them go like leaves down a stream. So mm. Mm, each one, and there'll be, like you said, there's going to be a lot of ADH. There's going to be a lot of thoughts going through. Oh, am I doing okay at my job? Mm, that's a thought. And oh, interesting thought. You let it move and you let it move through. Um, people in recovery, this is like the rest of us. They have jumpy minds and they are, they have difficulty tolerating um, any emotions usually. So it's difficult sometimes um, for them. People say, I don't like it. I don't know how to do it. Am I doing it right? These are thoughts. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. Right. And so, you know, I I would just say, start where you are. I mean, if you're in a a five minute zone um, and you're pissed off and don't want to really do it, but you, you, Sherry told you to do it. So you just go for it. I mean, (laughs) just, just take the five minutes and then let it all, you know, leave it on the mat kind of thing. Leave it on all the thoughts, just let them release from you. And the mind really just needs a break. Right. Yeah. Um, I loved your podcast with Octavia, Octavia Rahim. I I have her book behind me here. Pause, rest, be. I mean, she talks a lot about just letting, you know, letting your letting it go, um, yeah. letting it, letting it all go. So. Oh yeah, I I absolutely love her, and and thank you for bringing her up. But I, the other thing I do like also that you state in this chapter is that you encourage the reader to type one affirmation into their smartphone each morning as a reminder each day. And guess what? I'm going to start that this week. And anyone who's listening to this podcast, I invite you to do the same thing. Get uh, Dr. Williams' book and start writing your affirmations down and reviewing them at least three times a day, morning, noon, and in the evening. And just think about how did that affirmation drive your day? And did it help you think about things differently, particularly as you're in a recovery situation? Now, I'm going to veer off on another question here, too, um, because this is something that I thought about after we initially talked. Of all the folks that you have worked with, this may be an easy or hard question, but maybe not. Was it mostly women or men? who seem to be undergoing uh, a recovery and addiction process. I'm just curious about the gender. Yeah, it's interesting because at the hospital, I saw about 
90% men. Um, and in my practice, there were more, in my private practice, um, separate office, there were more women. So um, generally speaking, uh, both. <laughs> I mean, okay. uh, yeah, but both folk, both people are, um, are struggling, both, you know, both genders are struggling with um, addiction and recovery. Um, yeah. And in terms of which, which, um, which does better with mindfulness and meditation, I think, I do think women um, are more open, generally speaking, to mm-hmm. it. Um, you know, naturally, but we don't want to forget the men and we don't want to leave them behind. Um, so I, I always introduce the concepts. I um, give resources and referrals. There's, there are podcasts for men on, on mindfulness, which may be a better fit, you know, versus some of the other podcasts um, that I do recommend to men. So, you know, it's, it's really um custom made, you know, each, each person and each um, recovery journey. Thank you for, for that. Now on page 134, this is where it gets into some of the work that I do. You discuss decluttering your space, which I was so happy to see because it, it, it literally, I was reading your book and I said to myself, clutter, clutter, <laughs> right? And I said to myself, oh, I need to ask her about clutter. And lo and behold, as I'm getting through the book, you have a chapter on clutter, right? So I was like, yay, <laughs> I have to come out of left field with that. So tell my listener how they can use affirmation exercises to understand how to use the space, mm. S-P-A-C-E to facilitate moving through decluttering yes. and give us a link to the clutter piece of this and addictions and recovery. Right. Uh, I, love, I mean, that is why I reached out to you because I just feel aligned. I mean, no, nope. yes, I do. <laughs> I do um, with what your, what your, your work is. Um, yeah. So I added, this is you know, I have a co-author, Julie Kraft. We, um, the great thing about a co-author is we can split the work 50-50. And so, um, she wrote 50% of the book and I wrote 50%. And this is my, um, my chapter, um, on, on clutter, decluttering. So, um, I have always believed that the space is crucial to mental health and addiction recovery, but I've never seen it anywhere or read it anywhere, um, which is why I reached out to you. I really think there's a link here to understanding space and recovery. Um, So uh, the the thing of it is a lot of people in recovery may be in recovery homes, maybe in shelters, maybe just transitioning to aftercare programs. So their spaces are kind of weird and not always you know, conducive to what you and I are. Yeah, they're transitional, which is, which is cool. It's just that, is it your own space or are you going to another space? Right. But even, even if you're transitional, um, I think we can use this, this structure to take care of ourselves in in our space. And I agree. So space S P A C E stands for um, five things um, based on the letters. The first, um, uh, action to do when you're thinking of decluttering and recovery is um, S stands for sit still. Now we've just been talking about, is this challenging? Is this not? But before you declutter, I recommend you take just five minutes to give thanks for wherever you are in your space, um, for everything that has come into your life. Um, And the fact that you're going to be now a new kind of a new person. So you will be letting things go bit by bit. And so you're kind of grateful for the things you have and you're grateful for the things you're letting go. And it takes a little mini meditation to, to make peace with that, that we are going to be letting things go as we develop a new per, kind of a new person that's underneath, you know, the addiction. Right. The, sec, the second is a P of the space and P stands for pleasant experiences. And sure, we've all done this. You may want to put on some music, uh, candle, tea, uh, essential oils I love. Um, as you begin the process of decluttering, you're linking up positive experiences with something that for some people may be stressful. So you're linking up kind of a good thing with a stressful thing. And eventually that decluttering actually becomes something you look, you look forward to, um, right. which is where I'm at right now. I actually 
have my essential oils. I look forward to um, going in my closet or taking my junk drawer and making sure it's organized or whatever the thing is. So give yourself that link. It will make a huge difference. The, um, uh, the A stands for uh, um, ask yourself. Um, every time you touch an item that you have in your room or your home, ask yourself, is this enhancing my recovery now, today? Is this item um, enhancing it? Or is it not enhancing it? And if you can get to a point where I'm keeping this because it's enhancing who I am now in my recovery, you you have the answer and you know what to keep and what to get rid of. And that to me is a high level way of decluttering and super powerful. Mm -hmm. Um, The C stands for charity. Um, In recovery, folks would, I recommend, and obviously AA recommends you give back. And one of the things you do in recovery in decluttering is you put a box for charity, things that are in good condition, that are going to be useful for someone else. And you find the charity and you literally go and give your box to charity, like as soon as possible, like within the week, right? You don't let it sit in the garage for a month um, or sit in your closet for a month. You just keep moving, keep the process going. The E stands for embrace your new space. So, and you talk about this all the time, when you declutter and have that new energy and that new space, it feels so good. And so, yeah, you want to give yourself a chance to experience your recovering self in the new space. So for Sherry, for you, it might be taking out the coffee from your, you know, cabinet or pantry and moving it or giving it to someone who could, would like it. And then seeing how you feel without the coffee in your space. I mean, that's a little mini example, but it may be incredible. I I don't know. We'll see, right? Yeah, I actually have gotten rid of it. Oh, okay. (laughs) I get it is if I go out and Ah. do Starbucks or whatever to buy it. So I have to physically leave my house in order to get it. I don't have it in my home. Right. My first step in that. Right. And yeah. that, I mean, for people in recovery, it may mean giving away alcohol, like expensive things like alcohol or even exactly. um, your, everything around alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, for you, it could be your coffee maker. You know, who knows what it is? Everybody's got a different journey. But right. go back in that space with the new you and feel how it feels um, as you declutter whatever the addictive thing is. And Does it feel different for you going in there? Oh, yeah, because I'm not, you know, I'm going in there for other purposes, not just to get a cup of coffee. So um, it definitely does. And I know that hoarding, for example, is a major deal. And I wanted to know also if hoarding and and clutter, is there some sort of... um, I don't know. Maybe it's a, uh, an impact of an addictive behavior. I'm glad you brought that up. I'm fascinated with hoarding. And um, our other book, Mindfulness Workbook, talks a lot about loss and addiction. Mm-hmm. And I believe there's a deep, deep connection between hoarding and a person has had loss in their lives, significant Ooh. loss. Um, you know, loss of a loved one, serious, serious loss of uh, health, you know, serious things. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I, you know, I'm not a, a hoarding expert, but I do know there's a huge connection mm-hmm. and um, understanding the underlying loss is the, to me, the only way to manage hoarding. And that's been years of like looking at these shows on television going like, Ooh, oh, here it goes. There's that thing. Oh, she lost her thus and such her, spouse or the, you know, what exactly. So yeah, but that's a fascinating topic. Yeah. I thank you for, for answering that. Um, now on page 188, uh, this is one of my favorite parts of the, of the book. <laughs> you write, quote, notice your environment, pay attention to what you see and become aware of what you smell along the way. You might even notice a peace, a sense of peace, excuse me, that comes over your body. 
So let's break down that statement. We, we did touch on essential oils and you know, I love my essential oils and talk about that all day long. <laughs> um, but how can we use um, aromas like essential oils? And there's various essential oils that are good for trauma, depression, and all of those things. How can we get people to really understand that aromas can help calm you through this process in your environment? Talk to me about that. Yeah. Wow. This is deep stuff because, you know, the olfactory system, the aromas and the, the sense of smell is the, one of the oldest senses that we have. It goes, it's ancient. Yeah. It goes it, it goes, it's before other senses. Exactly. Yeah. The olfactories were developed and they're developed for a reason. They're, they're to figure out where there's food, to figure out who your mate is, to figure out if there's danger, which is, I think, the, the trauma piece that you're talking about. Um, and it's, they're important in the environment to be able to either rev you up, um, like, oh, danger, you know, or sp- smelling bad food or whatever, don't eat that or to calm you down. They can actually do, they do everything. We have 400 smell receptors in our brain. I mean, amazing. that's a lot to, to manage. And we've got an ability to de- detect a million types of smells. I mean, it's, it's mind-blowing. Yeah. So, so, and you know all this. I mean, and your, your listeners are, are just uh, learning, of course, that the ability to fine tune what you need to be well in your environment is, is, is everything in terms of your mental health. Um, So I want to actually talk to you about long COVID and the side effects of losing your smell, because I'm fascinated what you think about what happens to people during this COVID long COVID symptom problem where they lose their sense of smell and taste, what, you know, what you, what do you think um, would be helpful for, for those folks? Well, I think part of what could be helpful is if they still have their sense of taste, for mm. example, um, you can link taste to smell. Okay. Also you could, as a color therapist, you can bring in color. Mm and how that's associated with various essential oils. Mm. Each, a lot of the, the um, essential oils are associated with colors too. So there's ways that you can kind of use your brain to bring in through, uh, through uh, color and through um, breath, mm. through um, taste. You know, if you're, particularly if you're, tasting something citrusy, Mm. you can still bring in through the imagination and the visionary parts of your brain, the smells of these things. Right. Um, So that's just, um, that's a great question. And I, I hope I was able to answer that because that just just came in from, from all of my learnings and teachings, you know, how color and taste you know, using other senses to bring in those, um, right. those things. So thank you for asking yeah. that question. It, it's okay. like retraining your brain. I love what you're saying because I know that people who smoke cigarettes have no sense of taste. I mean, they've lost it based right, on exactly. the, chem- the chemicals that have gone mm-hmm. into the system. And so as they get off of cigarettes, for example, it, like how do you retrain your brain to learn about taste? And I think what you're saying is Awesome. I mean, you can you can use the other senses, bring them in, retrain your brain, and slowly start healing. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping there's healing from you know some of these symptoms from um, COVID. I, I think yeah. I think there will be you know over time. I think so too. And I believe also throughout your book, your wonderful affirmations in each of the chapters. I hope my listener will take an opportunity to read through those, especially if you are recovering from some level of addiction and use some breath work around them, you know, because I think breath and COVID taught us this, right? How important 
breath is, you know, inhaling and exhaling and breathing in and breathing out. And you can even breathe in the affirmations and breathe out the affirmations so that it just goes into your psyche. And I, I really would encourage you to put that in that smartphone, that affirmation and do some breath work around it. Now, you did mention um, about this accompanying workbook. Um, how can we use that workbook to enhance the practices discussed in the book? Yeah, well, our workbook, um, Julie Kraft and I have been collaborating for over 10 years. So this was our first book together. Um, it's just hit a 10-year anniversary edition that just came out, mm-hmm. uh, I think, March. But uh, it's called The Mindfulness Workbook for Addiction, A Guide to Coping with the Grief, Stress, and Anger that um, uh, Trigger Addictive Behaviors. And um, that is a real workbook. In other words, there's pages that you have to fill out. Um, it's for people who want to go deeper in understanding addiction and their own addiction and embrace their own recovery. Um, you can use it with a therapist. You can use it on your own. You can use it in a group setting. Online therapy is big right now, of course. So definitely it works there. There are 70 worksheets and exercises. So it's, as, as people who've uh, read it said, you got to uh, be willing to put in the work. And um, you know what I mean? So, so um, it's definitely uh, requires you to come forward and to bring, bring it uh, to the workbook, fill it out um, and really kind of make peace with some, some things. And as I mentioned, um, you know, the, the, the gift of recovery is like a pocket coach. You kind of take it with you. It's an everyday thing. You do, you do your affirmations every morning and every evening and you, you have 365 days and things are going great. This workbook is 10 chapters and each chapter focuses on like um, thoughts or emotions or loss or, you know, things like that. And it, it kind of goes a little bit deeper into those areas for, for well-being. Yeah. Um, I think that's, that's awesome. I encourage you uh, listener, if this is something in your life or a loved one's life, pick up both books and see, or if you're struggling with some of this, I invite you to pick up the book and the workbook. And if you are seeing a therapist or someone who's helping you through this, share with them and perhaps they can be your coach through this process. This is so important. And I'm, I'm just so pleased to be talking with you. Now, where can we find you? Um, but before you answer that, <laughs> let me ask you, do you have workshops, trainings, anything like that, that practitioners, like if, a, if you're a trauma-informed yoga person or a person like me that does both that as well as working in homes and creating experiences and environments to help people, do, do you offer anything like that? Well, these last couple of years have been interesting, right? So um, uh, what I'm doing now, um, my website is mindfulnessworkbook.com. And on that website, um, I have a list of, um, conti- if you want, if a perfect practitioner wants continuing education, uh, which is cool. Like in other words, if you're a licensed uh, marriage and family therapist, for example, mm-hmm. you can click on that website and get credit uh, for reading my uh, mindfulness workbook or gift of recovery. Um, So I've linked it up with other agencies that provide continuing education. So that's one way that I'm out there in terms of reading the book, getting credit um, for your licensure or certificate, which is um, easy to do. It's at home. You know, I also have on there a bunch of uh, webinars that I've done for the last two years that I haven't gone out of my house. (laughs) Um, You know, so uh, <laughs> it is what it is. Um, but yeah, so I've done um, national and international um, webinars. There's some um, in, that are listed that are from Canada. There's some from in Australia, um, naturopathic physicians. I've been working with them um, in New Zealand and Australia. There's a webinar on that. I do quite a few, I have quite a few webinars on um, self-care for the practitioner. That's my other love. And um, so along with mindfulness and addiction, I, I really do like taking care of, as you do, taking care of the practitioners. So um, so I have a couple webinars on that 
on my website also. So that's, you know, not quite out. Yeah, I probably will go back out um, <laughs> in the next year and do more, more seminars. But right now it's everything's online. Okay. All right. And then what about the yoga therapist? Have you um, made any uh, actual connections with them for continuing education credits? Because I see this as a major opportunity for yoga therapists that are working with individuals in recovery or in trauma or what have you. And have you done any talks with the yoga community or the International Association of Yoga Therapists or any of those groups? I think that, you know, this is a great opportunity to talk and connect this with them. That's a wonderful idea. You were my first reach out to, to, to see um, if there was interest and you've just been over the top. So positive. I feel terrific. And I will reach out to um, international association of yoga therapists and maybe offline. We could talk about any other um, associations that take care of their the yoga therapists. Cause I love yoga therapists and I want to make sure they at least have some option to understand addiction and recovery. Um, yeah, I think uh, with the, the students they're working with, um, mm-hmm. specifically if there's some way, and especially since you have a background in yoga, I think this would be a natural fit for you. So you told us about your website, and, and that's, uh, can you repeat that, and can we get your book from that website? Yes, the website is mindfulnessworkbook.com, mindfulnessworkbook.com. And uh, yes, on that website, you can click buy the book and you can um, buy the book on the website through, um, obviously through Amazon, um, through Bookshop, through Walmart, through the publisher. New Harbinger has a beautiful um, mm-hmm. website that has a bunch of other books on addiction um, and mindfulness too, that there are a lot of workbooks too there. If you have things like you mentioned, trauma and other things that, that your yoga therapists are interested in, you can get it from them perhaps. So yeah, everything's on that website. <laughs> well, I just want to say thank you so much for this enlightening conversation. I am really uh, pleased and happy that you reached out to me and talked to me about this. Um, I'm always trying to expose my audience to new ways of thinking about things based on my own interests. And that's what this podcast is all about. And is there anything else that's coming up or anything you'd like to share before we close out? Oh, you've asked amazing questions. And I just want to thank you. I really, um, I feel from some strange way connected to you. I don't know, you know <laughs> why, but uh, I do. And so, and that's just because you are, you're, you're a bright light. And um, oh, it's, yeah, yeah. And so I wish you the best with, with your work. And I know your, your website has got improved and you're doing a whole bunch of new things and I'm excited to see how it goes. Yeah, I'm excited too. There are some really cool things getting ready to happen. Right. So thank you so much. And um, I wish you luck with your book. And um, I look forward to working with you at another point or opportunity. So thank you so much. Thank you, Sherry.